So hey, thanks for joining us. We uh, we're gonna dig a little deeper into what we talked about on Sunday of um, facing our regrets. If you remember, you know, we looked at David's regret over not building the temple, and the way he was able to overcome that regret was recognizing that he wasn't really um, regretting things that did or didn't happen in his own life, but he was focusing on his life for God. And so when our regrets can be focused on the things that are eternal, the things that are of God, then what happens is we don't feel all this pressure to resolve them. And so David then, by doing that, knew that he could commission his son Solomon to be about God's work and, and that the work that David was about as a man after God's own heart through his life is carrying on. And that's kind of a picture of the church, right? Um, I heard a quote one time that was, the church is always one generation away from extinction. So the point of that is if we don't build the faith into the next generation, the church realistically could die out. And so we always have to be thinking about the next generation and God's work in the next generation, not our work in the next generation. Well, this is the embodiment of our next generation at Temple. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so Brady's with me today, and I, I thought, you know, what better person than the person who's working with our next generation, who's involved in their lives and knowing them, there's no better person than you to talk about some of the things we talked about Sunday. So we're going to uh, zone, zone in on four areas that we talked about on Sunday. And we got the perspective from Brooke and Logan as people living this out in that generation and some of the pressures they're under. But I, I, I thought it might be helpful to kind of hover up from out of the weeds to maybe 30,000 feet where you have a picture over all of the students and the young adults that you minister to. Um, Brooke and Logan did a great job of trying to make it general, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it's always a personal opinion. And you see how this plays out in a variety of, of personalities and people and, and different approaches to faith, different uh, ways they're having to live their lives out. And so I wanted to look at those four things again, acceptance, authenticity, relevance, and the church. And so I've got some questions for Brady. We're going to bombard him and let him kind of answer in a stream of consciousness, but I want to give some definitions, some framework. So um, we'll start with acceptance. So if we look at acceptance, basically the research that young adults are responding to is saying that um, they're reporting more than ever that they feel a need to be accepted at the church. And, and um, that means to them to have a place to connect with others, to be known, to participate in the ministry of the entire church, not just their little area, and, and um, not just in the traditional young adult and student areas. So here's my question around acceptance. From your perspective, as you walk the life of faith with uh, high school students and young adults, how do you see the struggle to be accepted in church showing up for students and young adults? Yeah, um, the struggle I think comes in uh, what, what, how how am I going to be accepted? Uh, what what do I kind of have to have to do? What are there's all these there's all these questions about um, how am I going to fit in to this? Mm. And I think what we've created is this this culture of of these are these are the um, ways that you fit in to the church 
And it's even just amongst things like denominational lines. Right, right. You know, Paul didn't write a, a church, uh, write to the churches in Philippi, the Baptist churches in Philippi. Right. He didn't write to the Pentecostal churches in, in Ephesus. He wrote to the church in Ephesus. Right. He wrote right. to the church in Philippi. You know, and what we've created. And by church, the ecclesia, all of those who believe in Christ. Right. And so he, so... So we have this, we've, what we've created since then is this idea, well, well, this is a Baptist church and this is a Pentecostal church. This is what it means to be Lutherans. Like, and we've, we've just created these denominational lines that are really confusing. It's one of the mm. biggest questions that I get from students, not, not like the big philosophical questions, but like, why are there so many churches? Right. Right. Like, why, why, why is this, why is this a thing? So many different ways to worship. Yeah. And so so that kind of reminds me that I think one of the things that we can do as the older generation is to cling to the essentials mm -hmm. and instill those in the next generation, but approach the non-essentials, the opinions with humility. Mm -hmm. and, and so do you think that approach would help younger generations, the next generation, young adults feel as if... Um, there's a place for them, even if they're not like right down that center line of denominational opinions. Um, yeah, I think I mean there there is a way to to do it. I mean that being saying saying what I'm saying doesn't mean that we stop being Baptist. I mean we're still going to be locally governed. Right. We're still going <clears> to <throat> dunk people and not sprinkle them when they're, when right. they get baptized right. here. It's not like I'm saying hey let's let's change that, but it's like. Um, when when it comes to those things that um, we need to start things that we need to start holding with an open hand, yeah. like the movements of the Holy Spirit, yeah, yeah. Um, that's something that I know. Growing up in more conservative, less um, less um, what's the word? I don't know. It's I don't word. know. <laughs> it's my word. It's in my head somewhere. Charismatic, less okay. charismatic. You know. Um, it was. It's hard. It's hard to talk about things like the Holy Spirit because we have a. Mm. We have been traditionally taught a specific stream of what the Holy Spirit yeah. does, what the Holy Spirit no longer does, right. in conservative um, Baptist churches. And, and I think one of the dangers of that, and, and this is from my own experience. I don't. I don't know that it's a danger everywhere, but my own experience of being in a tradition that is more intellectual and educationally dominated. Over time, what happened? No one would say we did it on purpose, but what kind of the the convictional belief, how we live out our beliefs, kind of became that that scripture almost was elevated above the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, where it became the Holy Trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I can see that, and I can see how younger people might be wrestling with differences that come up in denominations more so than um, embracing the commonality mm -hmm. between them. And I'll say too that it's one of the things that is really specific to Sarnia because we have a lot of youth that are attending multiple youth groups. True, yeah. And we also, we, we as youth pastors in the Sarnia and Lambden County, we, we recognize this and we're working 
with each other a whole lot more, but yeah. all within the Christian fellowships in the high schools. And even to this past Friday night when we were we all came together for a youth rally, yeah. um, that youth rally was more so um, organized by the Pentecostal churches in the area, mm. but there was also two Baptist churches there as well as um, an AGC church. And yeah. so um, we were all involved in that. And so that, but what they're, but what the youth are seeing is, is a significant difference between um, the youth group at Peoples, the youth group yeah. at Bethel, and the youth group at um, Blue Water and at Temple. And they're okay with it. And they're okay with it. Yeah. So what's what's the big deal? Why so, do we have these lines that we're drawing? Why, right. Why can't I be? Why why can't I be? If we can't accept each other as Christians, what hope do I have to be accepted as a sinner? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. So that leads me to kind of a follow up, because some of this is um, kind of just what has been, mm-hmm. and and things that. Uh, structures that come into place kind of de facto are so subtle we don't realize they're coming in sometimes and so my follow-up question is what are some ways that you've seen like older people in the church do a really good job of creating an environment of acceptance for young adults regardless of what the denomination is yeah I think my main answer to this question I don't know if it necessarily goes along those denominational lines that we were talking about before, but when you try to manufacture a relationship Mm. rather than um, seek one out that's more organic uh, and then just kind of happens. When you say, like I've, I've had people come up to me and say, I really want to mentor somebody who, who can I mentor in, in, in the church? Well, you can mentor whoever you're connected right. to. Right, who's who's there? Like, who who are you connecting yeah. with? I can't just say, hey, this person's ripe for mentorship. Go yeah. for it. So the flip side of that is you know, be willing, yes, to mentor those who are in your path, who God brings into your life. Mm-hmm. But then from a young adult's perspective, be willing to seek those mentors who are people who are already in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and I love the word you used, organic. Um, because the had this conversation over the weekend with a friend that the the church is called to be a body, which is an organism, not a organization. And you know, if you think about living, breathing bodies and organisms, we respond to stimuli. Um, we don't try to control the stimuli. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, when, when, when it's cold out, your body responds to the cold. Doesn't necessarily immediately kick into, I have to structure, restructure mm-hmm. the system so that it's not cold. Yeah. You know, or, or pain. You know, I step on attack, my body responds as an organism to the pain, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's a response to what's happening, not trying to always manufacture the experience. Yeah. And so from an organism standpoint, that's kind of what you're describing is the yeah. body of Christ. Yeah. Now, who's in my circle? Yeah. Who has God brought into my life? How do I respond to them? Yeah. And I can tell you from my own experience, there have been times where pe- God has brought people into my life that he wanted me to walk alongside. 
And given the choice, I wouldn't choose that person. Because <laughs> no. you get to a place where you're like, oh my goodness, they're very taxing on me mm-hmm. for whatever reason. The differences of personality, whatever, it's just not the kind of person I would necessarily seek out to engage with, but yet that's who's there. Yeah. And so maybe that's one of the things that we as the older generation can do is lift our heads up yeah. from our lives, our busyness, and look around and say, who's here? Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe it's the the young adult child of a good friend or family friend that we've known for a while. Heck, maybe it's just the kid that I notice standing by themselves on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And it starts with a hello. Yep. Or how you doing? Hello in an awkward conversation yeah. about the weather. Awkward <laughs> is good. Um, because, um, you know, back to something you said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tends to be okay with awkwardness. Have you noticed mm-hmm. that? Yeah. <laughs> awkwardness and absurdity tend to be things that the Holy Spirit's okay with. Yeah. They want they, they, when, when has God ever asked you to do something that made you feel safe? Yeah. You know, when, like when you feel safe, it's, there's reasons you feel safe. And God usually will ask us to do things that that don't make us feel safe. And then when we learn to feel safe in those areas, yeah. he asks us to go the right, next step. Right. You know, that's what stretching us is. And growth is always under tension, right? We don't grow yeah. when we're not under tension. So, so that kind of brings us to the place of how do we engage these relationships, which is really what we're talking about is authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, authentic connection happens in authenticity. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen in, in something manufactured. And so just for those of you that are uh, watching along with us, the authenticity comes about in this way. So young adults are reporting that the image of perfection, not just in the church, so they're not just pointing at the church, and this is important to note, but they're saying perfection in the church and in relationships actually pushes them away. Mm-hmm. And, and um, it feels to me like young adult students are bombarded with fake images everywhere. You know, social media, filters on Instagram, um, you know, the, the fake positives and the posturing of how great life is. They get that everywhere. And it seems like because of that, they've kind of, their radar goes up really quick to identify what's not real, what's not authentic. Mm-hmm. And, and so from that place, how can the church be a place of authenticity that resonates with young people? Mm-hmm. I think one of the the big things in our in our culture in our day and age is being able to embrace the words I don't know. Mm. Um, we've we've done a very thorough job of of living out or tackling this this issue that I think we've gotten from the Apostle Peter when he said, "I always be prepared to." give an answer for the, for the hope that you believe in. And we've taken that and we said, okay, so we need to be able to train people into how to answer the, the questions of, um, that come up right. from people who don't believe. Right, right? And, and we have to take that statement of Peter in the context of he was one of those guys who was taught by Jesus, don't worry about what you're gonna say, the Holy Spirit will give you the words in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so that was what Jesus taught him. And then he wrote this. We have to put those two things together. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not convinced that always be prepared to give an answer is an invitation to deep 
human apologetics. Yeah, but and it, but that's but that's the route that we've gone. And like I'm doing on Thursday, I'm coming. I'm doing a a, a panel at one of the Christian fellowships of the high school, and one of the, they've given me all the questions. One of the questions is, you, you know, what are what are some of the things that I can say to my friend who tells me that the Bible is fake? Is there any scientific evidence of God? And hmm. It's like. Well, I don't, I'm not a scientist, guys. Right. I've never, I've never done this. I can go online and I can, I can look up some Frank Turek videos about, you know, and he can explain to me the cosmological, teleological, and our ontological arguments for the existence of God, and I can learn those and learn how to. But, but the reality is, like, I don't believe in God because of those arguments. I believe in God because of the experiences that I've had. Right. Right. Um, and the way that I've seen him working in my life. And I think, um, and yeah, that's, that's why I believe in God. I don't believe in God because of, of a science book. Yeah. So I'll give you some, I'll give you a tip for that conversation. There's a guy <laughs> named Robert Jastro, who is a scientist, is an astrophysicist, wrote a great book that um, no human being should ever read because it's so scientific. <laughs> but um, his conclusion was, you know, as he looked at science, there's no way to explain this apart from an intelligent designer, mm. which is not God of the Bible, but it's a step closer to that. Um, and Lee Strobel's son, I don't remember his name. Um, I asked Lee Strobel one time, we were, we were, he was at our church and we were having dinner, and I said, who's the, who's the smartest person you know from a standpoint of faith and science? And he goes, well, that's easy, that's my son. I'm like, well, I'm sure you think that because he's your son. But um, he's got a great book too, so, so those are some things. But one of the things that I firmly believe, I have little doubt of this, <clears throat> two things I expect when I get to heaven. One is to encounter Jesus face to face <clears throat> and feel that big warm hug, mm -hmm. but to also look over his shoulder as I'm getting the hug and seeing a giant banner that says, welcome, you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so I think you know, authenticity is part of that. You know, I'm gonna embrace the possibility that I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to, that we don't believe in the in, inerrancy or infallibility of Scripture. It doesn't mean that right. we don't believe what the Bible says, but we be, I believe because of my faith in God. I don't right. believe because right. I have scientifically proven every single command. I've scientifically yeah. proven that it is possible for Jonah to be swallowed by a whale right. or right. all of those things. That's Well, and that's my thing. You know, I... I, I firmly believe in the inerrancy of God's Word, but I don't firmly believe in my ability to understand it. Right. So, you know, being able to go, yeah, maybe. So, um, this was a question that I wanted to ask around authenticity, because I think when we start talking about authenticity, you know, people tend to think that authenticity is I just spill my guts in the first moment. Right. And so how can we um, distinguish between what's genuinely authentic with healthy boundaries versus the um, willingness to be so boundaryless open that it becomes kind of creepy and awkward. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of that comes from uh, having an agenda. Okay. Um, That's a really great answer, by like, the way. Thank you. Yeah. Like, like having... Like knowing that you have a story that God's going to use is great. Right. 
but assuming that that story is the silver bullet that's going to nail every single person in the church yeah. is completely wrong. Okay. <laughs> you know, I like I I know that I'm not going to relate to every single youth that comes through the doors. Right. Uh, and that's why we need volunteers. This is a this is a I need volunteers that can relate to more people than I can relate Tuesday to. Tuesday night, Sunday <laughs> night, Wednesday night, we have youth, young adults, students that you guys can get involved yeah. with. We need leaders. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're athletic and love games. <laughs> I've never been athletic in my life. And so if there are mm-hmm. students that are athletic and love it, man, I need you. I need you to relate to them because I there's one aspect of yeah. student life that I can't relate to. I mean... Like I can talk about music for hours. Yeah, yeah. I can't talk about the Blue Jays or. <laughs> I don't think anybody. why the Leafs suck. I don't really know. wants <laughs> to talk about the, the Leafs. Just won, by the way. You wouldn't know this because you don't yeah, care I about sports. Because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they got Boston next, so that could be fun. Um, but yeah, I think I think that the thing you just said, an agenda. An agenda. What if yeah. What if we didn't have agendas when we were interacting with others? What if the only agenda we had was presence. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to be there. I want you to be there. I want to hear your story. I want you to hear mine. Mm-hmm. And and that's where connection happens. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's yeah. that's a really good insight. Yeah. That, and I know right now after Sunday, like there's a lot of there's a lot of older adults that are like, okay, well, no, what's my next step? Yeah. Well, the next step isn't to just find a random youth to go up to and say, hey, I want to go for coffee with you. The next step is to you're like, okay, who's a youth that I already know the name of? Mm. Because it's, if you know their name, you may have already made a connection. And if they right. know your names also, yeah. they, you've, already, you've already made some kind of a connection with them. And so maybe the next step is to go past just knowing their name and them knowing your name. Yeah. And don't feel like you have to be what they are. Right. You know, and then that's what I loved about one of the things Logan said Sunday was, yeah, I just want you to be yourself with me. Mm-hmm. You know, just be who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that kind of bleeds into relevance because, you know, if you think about it, life is life and has been life since the dawn of man. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we all um, have a commonality of experience even when it comes to emotions and, and so there, there's a human range of emotions so you've never experienced anything that some other human being hasn't experienced which makes connection relevant to every human being um, and so one of the things that young adults are saying right now is that that um, they want to answer the question where is God in my day-to-day life um, and what does my life look like in the long haul when I live it with God. And, and so um, you know, I think in that, like we had uh, Bill and Christy Galtier here this weekend and they were talking about Journey of the Soul and they mentioned that wall. And that wall tends to be the place where my vision of life and God's vision of life collide. Um, and we all need somebody when that happens. And so I'm curious, what are some of the ways that, that you see young adults kind of having a, a sort of a collision between God is relevant in their lives and then the culture on the other hand dismissing God as relevant to anything because mm-hmm. we're more post-Christian now than we've ever been. So, so where, do you, 
Where do you see those collisions happening for young adults and students in their day-to-day lives? Yeah. <laughs> this is this goes kind of goes back to like um, the apologetics conversation mm-hmm. that we just had. Um, we've done a very thorough job. I wouldn't say we've done a good job. I say we've done a thorough job of reasoning our way through an understanding of the Christian God of the Bible um, and applying that to some kind of model that we can then live out. Uh, but in doing so, we've created this, we've created this understanding of God that I think, I think it was even happening years ago when Bette Midler wrote the song, What If God Was One of Us? Mm. You know, Did she write that? I, I think it was Bette, she sang it. I don't know if she wrote it. Okay. She may not be that talented, I don't know. But she, but she, but what if, what is, so we, now we have this question. Just a what slob if, like just one a of us. slob like one, what if God was one of us? Well, <clears throat> the truth is God was one of us. Right. Right. right, he came in the form of Jesus, and so this idea that um, that we've created by pursuing knowledge of God is that we now have this we now have this this church that places all their importance on revering God rather than understanding that God came in the form of a baby and met us yeah. where we where we live where we are, and that's the most relevant thing of all. Right. Jesus is the most right. re- relevant thing of all. It's not, not the, the understanding of the Trinity. It's not the understanding of all these doctrines that we've, that we've built up. It's right. like, where does, where does God meet me when I'm failing my math class? Mm. Or where does God meet me when I, um, I know these things about uh, sexual identity to be what the Bible says, and what people are teaching me, but I have this friend at school that I really like. Yeah. Like they're a really nice person, and they treat me well. They they don't hate me. Right. They don't tease me or bully me or make fun of me. Why do I then have to tell them that they are wrong? Yeah. Why is that something that I? Why is that a a life that I have to live and then have them hate me then? Right. Right. Sorry, I just bumped the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, that, that kind of hits close to home for me in a very real way. A, a few years back, I was on a panel at a university, and, and one of the people on the panel with me was a young lady who um, was professing to be a lesbian and living a lesbian lifestyle. And she w- was professing to be a Christian. And she said something very interesting during that. She said, you know, I feel like I have to come out in two areas. If I come out as Christian to my uh, LGBTQ community, I'm going to be rejected. And if I come out as lesbian to my Christian community, I'm going to be rejected. Mm-hmm. They have no space. And, and so I know that that you know the church tends to be the poster child for the culture to say there's intolerance. But the reality is, young adults, and she she was a young adult. You know, she was in her mid twenties on this panel. But the reality is that there's intolerance for our young people in so many areas Mm -hmm. that it's really hard for them to be themselves. And by that, I mean, be the person they are in every one of their environments. And and so I I feel for young adults in the church at school nowadays or at university or or with their friend groups because um, 
to stand on anything is to be labeled somebody who hates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's got to create some tension, particularly when it comes to relevance of how do I live with God in every situation? And, and so I, I, I have a lot of empathy towards young people who are trying to live their faith out and, and see that God's truth, who God is, the reality of God is relevant in every circumstance, but they also have this tension of, I can't express that or explore that in certain circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. And so that kind of bleeds into this next question, that what are some common uh, matters of faith? You know, what are some things that we take as granted, as, as solid things of faith that don't feel so straightforward to our students and young adults anymore. I, the, the, simply put, I think identity is is the main one, and even beyond going into sexual identity and mm. and and all of that. Like, let's just keep it basic. What is what is biblical manhood? Right. You know, I that was something that I that I struggled with because I I started looking at things like the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's, there's, there's probably two or three that I can go into, but for me, biblical manhood does not include uh, gentleness, right. traditionally, right. Right. What, I, what I was taught. <laughs> I was taught that if you, were, if you were gentle, you were probably uh, a sissy. Let's just use yeah. that word. That's, that's what yeah. has been traditionally used, even though it's not one of the words that we, people want to use right. anymore because that has connotations to it. it. It means something. And it meant that it meant something to me. Like, you know, it was a negative thing to be gentle. Well, even self-control, right? And self-control. Yeah, I mean, so the cultural model of masculinity is I'm more a man when I structure a life that allows me to do what I want when I want. Yeah. That's not self-control. Nope. Yeah. And it's funny, we just talked about that at our men's breakfast last month of, you know, what does it look like? to be mm-hmm. a, a, a true man of God. And ultimately the picture is Jesus, right? I mean, so, um, but yeah, those, those issues of identity that, mm-hmm. that even go deeper, you know, that's why I think one of the high value targets as a church should be helping people figure out who am I? Because when we can live out of, I am God's beloved in Christ, mm-hmm. then a lot of these questions fall by the wayside. You know, that's, that's almost like a big icebreaker going through the Arctic. Mm-hmm. The, the, it'll bust right through all this cultural stuff mm-hmm. if I know who I am in Christ. But if I don't have that, then, then I get stuck in the ice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, one other thing about, about identity, you know, we, we, that's a word that tends to resonate with us more towards sexual identity. Right. But... Um, how do you see, and this, this, is a, a, this question's free, it wasn't on the list, but so, how do you see um, kids wrestling with their identity in Christ in their day-to-day lives and in, 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 you know, the questions they ask and the things they pursue? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's the same as whatever everybody's thinking because nobody, mm. nobody can really nobody has really given me a, a thorough understanding of um, what a life in Christ looks like because that 
in a, in a sense that comes from God. Right. Right. right? And it's that a different how, vision for each of us. It's how it's how God identifies you. Right. And mm. not how somebody can tell me. Yeah. Well, how God identifies me, and so it's it's something that is I think the same for everybody, but only only can be discovered through following Christ. Right. Right. And it's um, so it's it's stuff like um, what does it look like to to be somebody who doesn't doesn't worry. Right. Well, it's walking with God daily and yeah. then coming to a point one day where you find out, hey, I really, God really is my shepherd and I really can live a life right. without lacking anything. Right. And, it, and it's that, you know, the, the identity is universal, but the practice of it is unique and individual mm -hmm. because although we all have the same identity, we're all different people. And so I can't tell you how to live that out. Heck, I can hardly figure it out for myself. But, you know, nobody can tell somebody else how to live out their identity. And we all have a unique identity as human beings. Same global identity, God's beloved in Christ. But you, know, you are the only Brady Burns. Mm -hmm. And not just in name, but in structure and, and how God equipped you and built you and, and the experiences he gave you and what he designed you for. So that makes it even harder too. And, and I think that's why it's so important. And, and just as a thought, I could be dead wrong here, but, but I think that's why it's so important that maybe one of the things we have to learn as we're growing up in our faith is what did Jesus mean when he said, it is for freedom I set you free? Well, I think what he meant was, I'm gonna make you free to be who you've been made to be. This is your identity, but how you live that out has to be a product of freedom. Which goes back to that, you know, the, the, the culture. Those cultural constraints that are on us have to be pulled away. Well, the culture's not going to take those off of us. We have to just let them fall. And we can only start to let them fall when we recognize that true identity as God's beloved in Christ. Now I can begin to live as who I am. Um, and I think, too, part of that, you know, what, what makes life in God relevant is... I don't know if this is how you do it. I think this is more of an outcome. But we start to live as if what we profess to be true is actually true. Mm -hmm. And we do that in little subtle ways over the period of our lifetime. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come in a moment. That's why I think this, this fourth topic, the church, is so important. Because where do we see examples of that? In church. Mm -hmm. you know, we don't see it in the culture. Um, and... This is probably one of the scariest bits of research that I found was that um, young adults are professing that they're moving further away from church and closer to Jesus. Now, one of the people I spoke with said, well, kind of what that might mean to him was, I have all these other spiritual options. You know, I can watch services from halfway around the globe if I find a pastor that I resonate with. So I don't need the church to, to experience Jesus. I can go on YouTube or I can go on podcasts and I've got all these options mm -hmm. to, to experience that. But there's something, um, I think one of the things COVID did that Satan loved was it disembodied the body of Christ. And so there's something about us coming back and re-embodying the body of Christ. And, and so my question for you is, when you hear this idea of I'm moving further from church but closer to Jesus, um, 
What does that even mean? What does that look like from your experience? When I, when I hear that, I, I don't, I hear it as like moving away from these toxic communities. Okay. And into um, actually following Jesus mm. in the way that he walked. Um, I See, don't, I love I your answer better than mine. <laughs> I don't think, I don't, I don't think you can move away from the church. I think the church is the vehicle that God has chosen, for better or for worse, to get us. And sometimes both. Yeah, <laughs> and and get us into to get us into the kingdom and get us to um, embrace the kingdom right. of God. So, so that brings me to my next question: If you if a young person finds a church that is all about Jesus, um, that's probably a place they're going to land, right? If they're moving closer to Jesus. Maybe. Depend, uh, the, it depends on what you mean, because there's lots of churches out there that say, we preach Christ. But well, yeah, but, but if, <laughs> <Do you? laughs> if we're truly lifting Jesus up and letting him draw people to himself, you know, if, mm -hmm. if our intention is we want to love God passionately, and because we love him passionately, we want to serve our neighbors generously, and as a result of that, we're constantly growing intentionally in Christ, Jesus becomes at the center of that. And, and starts to get lifted up. Um, so my question to you is, what are some ways that you think the church can be all about Jesus and less about this localized manifestation of the body of Christ serving itself? So, so more kingdom building, kingdom of God, than empire building, the footprint of temple. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways you think we can be about Jesus more? It, it gets hard when we start when we have to start talking about practical ways because I don't I think one of the things that I've run into is when people try and do the things that Jesus did, um, they assume that they're doing it in exactly the same way that Jesus mm. did it, <laughs> um, without taking into account that Jesus wasn't fallen. Right. He wasn't imperfect and fallible. Um, so that, so for example, you know, Jesus got angry. So therefore every single time that I get angry is, what godly is that? Anger. It, is it godly <laughs> anger? Yeah. No, because Jesus had no choice but to right. have godly anger. Right. Um, now he did, there's some things we can glean from that. Like he, like he wove a whip. He took the time to weave a whip and really think about his anger yeah. and, and that kind of thing. But just because... Um, just because you're angry about some spiritual issue and wanting to get the culture back to Christ doesn't mean that they, you have godly anger. Mm. Um, Which goes back to what about building an empire or the kingdom? Right. Yeah. So the kingdom's always invitational. Mm -hmm. Empires are ruled by boundaries. Right. And boundaries and empires are designed to keep certain people out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and then so practically speaking, does that mean we does, for anger? Does that mean we go against everything that the church says is wrong, or does that mean we sincerely pray and sincerely quiet ourselves and listen for the the Holy Spirit in yeah. that? And, and maybe that's the, the the simplicity of it is if the church is going to be all about Jesus, then then what happens is we always lead with love. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't lead with dogma we lead with love and, mm -hmm. and love is always invitational doesn't mean the invitation is always accepted but it's always invitational mm -hmm. um, so 
I guess the last question I have for you is what are some things you see young adults looking for in their churches post-COVID? So things they're looking for now that they weren't necessarily looking for before, but COVID has kind of showed up and said, hey, your foundation is shaking a little bit. And so now they figured that out and said, I got to reinforce this with these types of things. Mm -hmm. It's a hard question, the way it's worded, because I don't think they're looking for anything. I think they've just mm. defaulted. Um, okay. It's because they're, they're perfectly happy. Like last night at youth group, we were, people showed up and we started playing, talking and playing some video games and then three of them just sunk into their phones. Yeah. And it's like, hmm. Like normally, like if a video game was on, you would at least watch it. You right, would at least, right. But no, it's like we're, they're all into their phones right now. And so I think from that, I can glean that we need, they need connection. They probably want connection. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just like Logan said yesterday, it was just, it's easier yeah. to not. Yeah. And I think then, I think on some level that, yeah, they do want that. Right. But it's easier to connect through their phone mm -hmm. than it would be to um, connect face to face. And I think that's always going to be the reality of connection. Yeah. True connection is always harder than not. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, the technology has given us a ton of illegitimate ways to meet legitimate needs. Mm -hmm. And that's really the cycle of addiction, right? Trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, finding it doesn't work. So I try to do more of the illegitimate means, mm -hmm. and then that becomes that cycle of addiction. Um, we see it in our house. You know, the, the dynamics of addiction play out every time we remove the technology. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it, the same things are happening in the brain that happen with addiction. So you said something really interesting um, they're not really looking for it, but they'll know it when they encounter it. Mm -hmm. That feels to me like an invitation, mm -hmm. an invitation to those of us who are the uh, generation of leaders in the church to um, make relationship the primary objective on a Sunday morning authentic, real relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and so to know and be known. Mm -hmm. And maybe part of the problem with doing this for young adults is we don't really do it very well as adults. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there's, they know there's times when I feel that even with my own kids, like yeah. when I'm busy and I'm, and I'm in my phone. Yeah. You know, I'm not really authentically, but, and it's not that it's the, necessarily the technology that's the problem. It's like, cause right. if I said to Barrett, Hey, let's go play some video games on the Wii. He'd be yeah. in a second. Right. right. And the technology can be a point of connection. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's the other thing we need to realize as the generation of current leaders, we tend to look at technology and say it's bad mm -hmm. instead of saying, but how can it foster? connection so the ability to to text somebody in a moment is a means of connection the ability to share thoughts feelings emotions experiences 
intentionally instead of via mass media on Facebook or Instagram. But, you know, so we'll take Logan as an example because we kind of forced him to put himself out there. So he's out <laughs> yeah. there. But, but you know, if, if I have an experience that I think would resonate with Logan, I have the ability to share that experience with him in almost real time. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really sharing it with Logan if I stick it on Facebook or post it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the way we... we take the, the, the social media concept and reduce it down intentionally to specific relationships rather than a, a mass broadcast to anyone and everyone who might be listening. Um, that feels a lot less narcissistic to me. So, well, Brady, I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you guys watching and hopefully this will spur some discussion in your groups. I know Pastor James has some great questions for you. Um, and you can walk through those. We're not really trying to look at things and go, hey, this is who's right and this is who's wrong. But really all we want to do is look at things from a different angle a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and say, hey, let's broaden our perspectives. Um, much of what we said may not be part of your experience. It might be. And certainly no one person's experience is, is translatable to an entire generation. Um, but that comes back to your ultimate point. Be intentional and connect mm-hmm. with those who are in front of you. So, um, well, we want to pray for you as you go into your groups and for your discussion time. Brady, will you pray for everybody for their discussion time? Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, Father God, I give you thanks for, uh, you know, the the intentionality of, mm. of, of these groups and wanting to... Uh, to learn more about you, but also in the same in the context of what does it mean to pass on the torch to the the next generation? Um, I pray that you would uh, make us all uh, into the kind of people mm-hmm. that would um, pursue you, uh, but also invite others uh, in the younger generation to to follow to follow us in in that pursuit of you. Um, and as in putting us, putting ourselves in between uh, them and Jesus. That's that's what uh, uh, that's my goal, and that's that's what I would hope for that everybody else would do. That uh, they would invite people to pursue them as they pursue Jesus. Um, so yeah, I pray that that's the kind of people that you would make us into. Yes. We love you, and uh, and thank you for for um, showing us all the things that you do show us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot and uh, have a great week. We'll see you next week.